0: Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how Jonah ran from God, but God redeemed him from his disobedience and gave him another chance. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life.
1: I'd just like to say welcome, good morning, so good to have you here, and we started a series last week, I don't know if you guys were with us or not, but we started in the book of Jonah, and we talked about how Jonah is often the kid's story, right, and kids like to learn about it on the flannel graph and the coloring pages, but Jonah's actually a story about God, God is the hero of every story in the Bible, and so if you weren't with us, I'm going to give just a little bit of a recap of Jonah chapter 1. And we're going to continue on in Jonah 2 today. So, Jonah was a prophet of God, the nation of Israel, and Jonah's job was to deliver messages for God. God would speak to Jonah, Jonah would deliver the message, and that was what he did. Except for this time, God said, Hey, Jonah, I want you to get up and I want you to go over to Nineveh and tell the Ninevites that they're in trouble. Their wickedness has come up before me, and they're about to be punished for their sin. And so I want to show them mercy, but Jonah, it's your job to go tell them what's going to happen. And Jonah says, "Mm, hard pass on that. I'm going to get on a boat, and I'm going to go to Tarshish. So I think I still have the map. Is there the map? Can we put that up on the screen this morning? You have to understand. So Jonah was in Joppa, and he gets on the boat. He could have went to Nineveh, 550 miles, which is a long way. But he gets on a boat to go 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. Dude was committed to disobeying God. And so that's, that's the setting of the story. And so why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Because he hated them. The Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian empire. They hated, the Israelites hated the Assyrians. They had uh, ransacked their villages. They had taken slaves. They had abused them. God had actually used the Assyrian army to punish Israel, if you know some of the history of of Israel. And so Jonah's like, "Uh, God, you want to show them mercy? No thanks. I'm I'm in. I'm a prophet. I know I work for you, God, until it comes to this point. Then I'm going to jump on a ship and go the wrong direction. So Jonah's sleeping downstairs on the boat, and God says, Jonah, I know exactly where you are. You're not getting away from me. You're not going to hide. I know you're on a boat, because God knows everything, and God's everywhere, right? Omnipresent, omnipresent. And so he, he, he calls Jonah up out of the boat, and he says to the crew, the crew roll these dice that we call lots, and they figured out that it's Jonah's fault. He's been disobeying God, and he's the, he's the one that is to blame for the storm. So the crew asked Jonah, they say, well, what should we do? He says, well, I know why the storm's here. I disobeyed God, so um, just throw me overboard. Like, I would rather die than go to Nineveh. I hate them that much that my life is over. Just kill me. Just throw me overboard. And so that's, and the crew didn't want to, right? And they're like, well, uh, we don't want to be guilty of this man's blood. And so they actually cried out to God and said, forgive us. Kaplush. And then the storm stopped and the, and the sailors all went, whoa, this is the true God. They didn't worship Jehovah. They worshiped their gods, their idols. And now all of a sudden they realize that this is the one true God. He stopped the storm, like immediately. And so I know I left us with a bit of a cliffhanger last week if you were here because that's where we stopped. Verse 16 in chapter 1, Jonah went overboard. And it's just like Netflix, you know, you always got to leave you just wanting a little more. So here's verse 17, okay? Chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So there you go. Now you know what happened, right? Nobody thought there was going to be a fish. The sailors didn't think there was going to be a fish. They just threw him overboard. He's going to die. You cannot swim a storm. Jonah thought he was going down. I don't know if he could swim or not, but he was expecting to die. And then this fish comes along and swallows him up. So as we go into chapter 2, the pace of the story changes a little bit. And writers will often do this in books, and it's no different in the Bible, that they slow the story down. The pace of the story gets slower so that you focus on some of the details. And so as we read through Jonah 2, I want you to Put yourself in Jonah's position. Imagine what it must have been like for him. The fear that he had going overboard and then going under the water. And and his response is prayer, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But let's read this together. So if you have a Bible, we're going to go to Jonah chapter 2. Otherwise, um, we'll have it on the screen. You can follow along. So Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and the roots of the mountains, and I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Crazy, right? Fish swallows him, Jonah's in there for a while, ugh, vomits him out onto dry land. So we can get caught up in the story on some of the details. And, I, and I've read a lot on this and studied. So like people who are very science-minded, they're like, well, what's the probability that A fish could swallow a guy and he could live for three days in the belly of this fish. Or was it a whale? Was it a fish? I mean, that's not the point of the story. I mean, we can do research on it and there actually are people who have survived being swallowed by large sea creatures. Some of them went unconscious and then, you know, but they lived. But the story isn't about the scientific probability of the species of fish. The story is about God's pursuit of people, God's heart. For people and the great lengths that he will go through and his power to rescue somebody. See, I don't know what the species was. I'm going to just say great fish because that's what the text says. Uh, but I've seen the Meg. Anyone ever seen that movie? There may be some stuff down there that we don't know about. I don't know. Maybe God invented some special fish for this. God's all powerful. We don't know. But I'm not going to get hung up on on the uh, the scientific background of the species this morning. But I want us to see. More importantly, that God can rescue anyone he chooses to rescue. So Jonah gets a second chance, right? Jonah's in the water. He's sinking deeper and deeper. Imagine. So they throw him overboard, and he goes under. Now, you've probably been to a pool on a summer day. I know it's hard to imagine a summer day right now with the weather. But you've been to the pool, and it's loud, and there's kids screaming, and there's lifeguards blowing whistles, and there's just noise But what happens when you go under the water? The sound just gets muffled. It it just kind of hushes, right? And the deeper you go, the quieter it gets. So imagine Jonah sinking, all the storm, the noise of, of the storm going on, the wind blowing, the lightning, the thunder, and the crew probably screaming, you know, like little girls. And he's going down, and it's getting quieter, and it's getting darker. And the pressure from the water is getting more on his body because he's going deeper and deeper and he thinks he's going to die and then boom, this fish swallows him up. Whoa, where am I at? I thought I was dead and now I'm inside of this great fish. And so when it seems like all is lost, God makes a way for Jonah to survive. He creates a way for him to survive. Then Jonah prays, doesn't he? It's a bit of a perspective change. He acknowledges that he was near death and that God rescued him. See, prayer is often our last resort, isn't it? We pray when, there's, when all else fails. Well, I've tried this and I've tried that. Now I can pray. And God's saying, I've been here the whole time, Jonah. Like, had to put you in the belly of a fish to get you to pray. But here he is, and he's had some time to reflect. Anybody remember, like, when you were a kid and your parents... You did something wrong, got in a fight with your brothers or sisters, and you had to go take a little time out in in bedroom world and say, you need to go reflect on what you've done. Anybody been there? I spent some time in the bedroom. Like, go reflect on your decisions and your choices, and when you're ready to come out, when you've had a change of mind or a change of heart, then you can rejoin the family. You've probably been through that experience. And that's kind of what Jonah was doing in the belly of the fish. He says, Time out, Jonah. You just need to take a few days. This was not a vacation for him, by the way. A few days in the belly of the fish, cold, wet, no food, no water, not fun. But it got his attention. God got his attention. And so he prays. And this is what he says in verse 2. I called out to the Lord, and out of my distress, he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. So God knew what it was going to take to get Jonah's attention. It's going to take a storm. It's going to take a boat. It's going to take three days in the belly of a a fish, right? And I'm going to get his attention. But he did. Now, as we read this text, um, the the word sheol is in there, and there's some other um, language that kind of comes up through the Old Testament. And So as I was studying this passage, I came across this infographic. I've got a slide here with a picture that maybe helps us understand the Hebrew concept of the universe, right? So I know it's maybe a little bit blurry, but I'll try to explain this. So the way the Hebrews would of this time would have thought or Jonah would have thought is you have like over here, this says the foundations of the heavens, the foundations of the earth, the great deep, waters and the firmament and, and the doors to heaven. You can see that so there's some gaps up there. So. They didn't quite have the same understanding of of the world that we do. Obviously, we've had more science and more time to discover things. And then there's the earth, and there's that big black thing down there, Sheol. And so we could spend a lot of time unpacking what that's all about in different places it's mentioned in the Old Testament. But just to simplify it, Sheol was the place of the dead. They believe that's where dead people went. So when Jonah says, I was headed for Sheol, like, I'm going down, down, deeper that's where he thought he was going. He was going to die. He was on his way there until fish scoops him up. And so Jonah understood that he was near death. He was sinking away, but God gave him a second chance. God gave Jonah a second chance, didn't he? Did Jonah deserve to die? Probably. I mean, he disobeyed God, uh, you know, and went on his own way, but God said, "No, Jonah, I'm going to give you a second chance. Cuz that's who God is. He gives second chances. Even though we don't deserve them. That's who God is. And I I don't know about you, but I need second chances, I need third chances and fourth chances and you know, how many chances does God give us? I don't know, but it's a lot. Right? So confession time. I've been pulled over once or twice in my life by the cops. I have, and I bet most of you have too, if we're honest, but most of the time, I get a ticket. And he's over there, and he writes me a ticket, and there you go, and thanks, you know, awesome. My wife, on the other hand, she's shaking her head right now because she knows what I'm going to say, Does never gets the ticket. She gets pulled over. I've been in the, in the passenger seat, and the cop comes up to the window. So there was a time, I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to embarrass her. We're driving in the car down the highway. I'm in the passenger seat. She's driving. She pulls out on a hill, you know, the no passing zones where they have the signs and the lines and you're not supposed to. She goes over into the passing lane and we're going up this hill and I'm like, I'm like, we need to get back over there. And here comes a cop over the hill meeting us. She gets back in our lane, you know, it's kind of a close call. And sure enough, Cherry's come on. He turns around. I'm like, all right, this is going to be good. Because this is not the first time she's gotten out of a ticket. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, she's busted. She is so busted. And the cop comes up to the window and he says, do you know why I pulled you over? And she kind of looks at him, smiles. Was I speeding? (laughs) Just in that voice. That's, That's how she, was I speeding? He says, no, that was a no passing zone. Oh, warning, no ticket. Just don't do it again. I'm like, are you kidding me? We almost had a head-on collision with a cop, and he gave her a pass. And that was one of probably, I could tell 10 more stories like that. Now, I, I, I mean, I'm, <sighs> yeah, danger zone, danger zone. I'll, I'll just stop right there. So here's the thing. I'm torn because I'm, I'm glad we don't have to pay money because it affects me too. But I'm also like, why does she get off? Why does she always get a second chance? I always get the ticket. But the good news of the gospel, we never get the ticket. We break the law. Because when we, when we break the law and driving around, whatever, and we're, we deserve to pay the fine. We deserve the ticket. But with the gospel, Jesus paid for it for us. So we never get it. He paid it in full, one time for all. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So when we mess up, God shows us grace and he gives us another chance and another chance. See, God showed grace to Jonah and gave him a second chance. And God gives gives us that same grace that he extended to Jonah. He extends it to us. Then Jonah starts talking about something else, idolatry. So Jonah makes an interesting discourse from the belly of the fish. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Huh, talking about idols, okay, interesting. Now, Jonah was not, this was not unusual for him. He's a prophet, and he's used to getting messages from God saying, go tell Israel to stop worshiping idols, because that's what they did. They'd forget about God, they'd worship an idol. They would worship some other nation's God, and the prophet would have to say, guys, stop doing that, like, that's not pleasing to God. He's not going to share his glory with another and so Jonah was used to talking about idols. And just a little side note here, as I was studying this passage, which was interesting, is that each of these um, nations had their own gods, right? They were polytheists. But like, um, so the Canaanites worshiped Baal and the Ammonites worshiped Molech and the Philistines had a god called Dagon. And Dagon is the fish god. Hmm, interesting. So the people of this Culture and context would have understood that God's making a statement when he tells a fish to go swallow Jonah and then uh, spit him back out he's over the fish god he's saying that's not a real God that's a fake god I'm the real God so Dagon fish god interesting anyway um, where was I at so idols the fact that Jonah is is talking about idolatry in the belly of this fish is not insignificant see. Jonah says that those who worship idols, they give up the steadfast love of God. Does that mean that if a person worships an idol, that they are somehow cut off from the reach of God's love? I don't think so. Because Jonah did. He worshiped an idol. We're going to talk about that in a second. He was not cut off from the love of God. God pursued him. Pursued him in the boat. Pursued him in the, the depths of the sea, right? Pursued him in the belly of the fish, See, Jonah understood that idol worship is bad for us. It it harms us. It's hurtful to us. Idol worship takes us to places and puts us in situations that are not good for us. And that's what he's saying. He's like, we forfeit the love of God when we go to idols. It's a sham, it's empty. So if we worship idols, if we turn to idols, we give something up. It costs us something to worship an idol. So Jonah's idol was nationalism. Jonah didn't want to obey God. God said, go to Nineveh. He said, "Mm, no thanks. And so what Jonah was essentially telling God is, I love Israel. I love my people more than I love you, God, because I know what's best, and they don't deserve your mercy. And so God says, okay, we're going to set up this fish thing then. We're going to go through the, the little experience, the teaching lesson. But that was his idol. Jonah, Jonah was a nationalist. The problem is God is an internationalist. God loves all people. He loves all these different nations. And he says, hey, their sinfulness has come up before me. They need to repent. I want a relationship with them too. And Jonah said, nah, just Israel. We're your chosen people. They don't deserve it. I'm not going over there. So that was his idol. He was worshiping the idol of nationalism. See, idol worship cost Jonah something. It cost him uh, a few nights in the belly of a fish, some bad experiences, right? But God used it to get his attention. And idol worship was not just a problem back in the day of old, back in the people of Israel. Because we all want to worship idols. We want to turn away from God and put our hope and our trust in something other than the one true God. We all struggle with idol worship. And maybe you've never really thought about this before. Well, I don't have little statues at home, no. But we can let our hearts go after a lot of other things, right? If we're honest, John Calvin said, "Man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. We continue to manufacture things which come between us and God, things we rely on and trust more than God." And again, for Jonah, he let his love of his country come between his love and obedience to God's mission for him to go to Nineveh. So I want to put up a little inventory because we might think, I don't have any idols, I'm good, I love love Jesus. So let's put up a few questions here with some blanks, fill in the blanks. If I could only have blank, then I know everything would be fine. If only blank, like some set of circumstances were true, I could be at peace. If I could just achieve blank, then everything would be all right. Right? So we might say, if I could only have a whole bunch of money and all my investments are are doing really well and have good returns and and I'm financially stable, then I know everything will be fine. We're worshiping money. If only my daughter could meet the right husband and they could get married and have kids and, and, and be great, then I could be at peace as a parent. If I could only achieve success or maybe own my own business, then everything will be all right. See, we start to put things before God and we say, that's going to promise me happiness. That's going to give me purpose. That's going to give me a sense of fulfillment. And the problem with idols is they overpromise and underdeliver every time. Every time. They make promises, oh, life's going to be so good if you just have this and you just do that. And it's a sham. It's false. And that's why Jonah says that it's vain to worship idols. Don't do it. It's a waste of your life. The message of Jonah is that all gods are false. And so we can have our idols, we can put our hope and our trust in other things, but guess what? Those idols won't save us when the storm comes. There's only one God who can save us when the storm comes, amen? The God of heaven, the God of everything. And he loves us. And the good news is that we can turn back from our idols and we can turn to worship him at any time and we can experience his best for us. That's his design. He said, hey, come worship me and you're going to live the best life you could ever imagine. Those idols are lying to you. Don't go for it. Don't fall for it. See, some of us worship the idol of money, and we think, well, if I just had a little bit more, then everything would be okay. If I, if I just had a little more money, then I'd have security. So the idol of money says, you need me to take care of you. Anybody resonate? I've been, i Yeah, right? We need the idol of money to take care of us. And God says, no, no, no. I'm the one who's going to take care of you. That's a lie. Don't listen to that idol. Some of us struggle with our family, our kids. Oh, can you really idolize your kids? Yeah, you can. We call it love and we say, I'm doing everything I can for my kids to give them the best future. But the idol of family says, hey, if your kids turn out great, it's a reflection of you And you can feel fulfilled and great as a parent, and it's a lie. God says, don't put your kids before me. Don't put anything before me. The family idol says, if your kids turn out great and have success, you will be fulfilled. God says, I love your kids more than you ever will. I care about their development and them following me more than you ever will. Trust me, love me, follow me, and I'll make you the best parent you could ever be. See how that works? When we put anything before God, we pay a consequence. There are problems. There's sin. But when we put him first, then everything else follows in line after that. And I'm saying, not saying don't love your kids, raise your kids, but don't idolize them. Don't put them above God and his purpose for your life. See, the thing with idol worship is, and I may be stepping on some toes here this morning, I don't know, but our idols are important to us. And we say, God, I'll follow you anywhere. But then when he touches the idol, ooh, don't, nah, that's Nineveh. I'm not going there, God. You went a little too far. You love everybody, but just not the Ninevites. And God might be calling you and saying, hey, there's this area of your life where something's out of sync, and we need to fix it. And it's for your benefit. Because idol worship costs us something. So I want to pause for two questions of discussion here. And that's the first one. Do you agree with that statement that idol worship costs us something and I don't say yes or no question do you agree with that statement or maybe a follow up question would be why why does it cost us something or what does it cost us it costs us in our intimacy with god how so Because we're focused on the wrong thing and not on God. That's not good for us. Why is that bad for us? I've learned being with Say that again. I've learned it, starts with my honesty. it starts with honesty. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're worshiping idols, we're not being honest with our God or with ourselves. And uh just kind of reminds me of, of the garden. We go hide, right? Well, we can hide this from God. He asked questions, where are you, Adam and Eve? He knew the answer, right? So the second question is this. What idol is the most difficult for you to turn away from, and why? You want to be vulnerable today. What's a, what's a hard idol for you to, to struggle with, to turn away from? Entitlement? Entitlement? Why is that hard for you?
0: It's the pride of self and it is constantly seeing what I deserve and I deserve to be stoned in that literally. I'm Constantly saying
1: that. Selfishness, pride. Absolutely. Yeah. And the for someone to say thank you because I the door. It's that Yeah. Yeah, and de- that to self is tough, isn't it? We don't want to die to self. I love me. I'm pretty great, don't you know? So Jonah, he had his prayer, right? He had the change of heart. His statement about idol worship, like, hey, don't worship idols. Worship the one true God. And then he says, there's one true God who rescues. How does he know that? How does he know there's a God who rescues? Well, there was the fish. There was the dry land. There was the vomit, you know, that he came out in. And so Jonah is rescued. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So God spoke to the fish, and the fish did what God said, because that's what God does. He speaks, and things happen. And so he speaks to this fish. He says, all right, time to get out. Jonah goes on to dry land, and I don't think this was a good experience for Jonah. I mean, you know what it's like to be in the bathtub too long, right? Your fingers start to get all wrinkly, like three days in a fish. I'm imagining he's not in a good shape. And he probably stinks a little bit. And he's hungry and thirsty, but, but mostly the smell. Like, coming out in a stream of vomit. Like, I'm sure he's running right back into the water, splashing around, trying to freshen up a little. And Hey, fish, just swim away now. Like, I don't need to swallow it again. Right? But, so he's been in the belly of this fish for three days, and now he's on dry land. He said, God rescued me. Nobody else did it. God did it. And so he's out of his holding cell. And as he he says, says this last verse, he says, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from who? The Lord. Did salvation come from Jonah making sacrifices? Did salvation come from Jonah doing good works, feeding the poor? No. He's in the fish. He can't do anything. He's hanging out. He's just waiting for God to rescue him. And God does. And, and so I, I hope that clicks for you because there are so many people who think I need to get right with God. I need to go do a bunch of stuff so that God will love me. God will accept me. The Bible says it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Nothing of yourselves. Not by works. No one gets to boast about it. Jonah didn't get to boast. Well, I was in this fish and I made a little altar and I did some sacrifices and then God let me back. Out of the fish. No, he, said he cried out. It was a heart cry to say, God, help me. I'm going down to Sheol. Get me out of this mess. And God said, okay, now I can work with you, Jonah. By the way, Jonah's heart was not perfect. We're going to see later on the story. Jonah has a little more stuff to deal with. He's not, he doesn't have it all together. But God rescues him because God is a God of second chances and a God of grace. He says, Jonah, I'm not done with you. I have work for you to do, and I have purpose for you. Worship me, obey me, and I'm going to take you on an adventure that you can't even imagine. So we all, like Jonah, need God to save us. We all need God to save us, just like Jonah, don't we? So for, for some of us, maybe that saving is just understanding Jesus, understanding What does it mean to have our sins forgiven? There might be some people here today who are like, yeah, I've kind of heard you talk about Jesus and this whole Christianity thing, but I, I don't really know what to do with it. I just feel guilty about my sins and I'm ashamed of my past. The gospel says that Jesus paid for our sins in full and we receive him by faith, right? Jonah didn't go do a bunch of good things. He cried out to God. That's what we do. We say, God, save me, fix me, redeem me through Jesus, and we receive his grace. And so maybe there's some people here today where God's kind of stirring in your heart, or maybe he's he's saying, hey, I need to rescue you from your past. Maybe you were hurt by some people, and there's something that God's trying to heal in your heart. He can redeem and restore the worst parts of us. You might feel ashamed for some things that happened. And God's saying, I want to rescue you from that. Don't dwell on it. Or maybe God's saying, hey, I I, want to rescue you from idol worship. You say you love me. You say you'll do anything for me, but yet there's still these areas of life where you're holding on and, and, and you love your hobbies just a little more than you love me. Or you love your checkbook a little more than you love me. Or you love whatever, fill in the blank, your job. God's saying, those things are okay, but don't make them ultimate. Don't put them before me. Or you're going to pay a price for it. That's what I love about this book. I love this story because it reveals God's heart. God's heart for people. God's heart to redeem and restore and rescue. And He says, I'll give you a second chance, I'll give you a third chance. Grace, that's the message of Jonah. Jonah didn't get what he deserved, he deserved to just be you know, wiped out. But God saved him. He said, I'm going to redeem you, Jonah, and I'm going to put you on dry land, and we got work to do, and that's coming. We got two more chapters of Jonah. We're going to see some interesting dynamics play out in this story. But doesn't it show God's pursuit of people? And doesn't it show his pursuit of you and me? Wherever you're at, God says, I know where you are. You think you're on a boat drifting away? I know where you are. I see you. I know your heart. I know your deepest needs. Don't don't go looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. Look to me. He says, I want to rescue you. I want to redeem you. That's the message of Jonah. And that's the message of our God. That's the gospel. That we're never too far from God. He can reach us. He can reach out to us. He can draw us back to himself. And I don't know about you, but that is really good news, isn't it? That's good news for us. And it's good news for your neighbors. And it's good news for the people you work with, and it's good news for the people who think there's no hope, and they're turning to substances, or they're, they're destructive in their behavior, and, and they, they think there's no way out, and, and we get to say, no, there's a God. There's a God who loves you, and He loves me, and He's inviting us to be a part of this story, and, and we don't know where it goes, but, but we can trust Him. That's the message of the Bible, That's, and Jonah fits into that, right? Right? I'm so thankful that God doesn't give up on me when I fail, when I blow it. He's redeeming, he's rescuing, he's restoring. So let's pray and thank God for second chances. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you love us so much. You loved us enough to send Jesus to die on the cross. You love us enough to pursue us even when we're disobedient and when we run from you. And when we pull a Jonah and we don't want to go to Nineveh, you still say, you're my child, come to me. Let me show you the best way for your life. So thank you for your discipline. Thank you that you discipline your kids who you love. Thank you that you redirect us when we need it. And Lord, I just pray this morning that we'd be honest about the idols in our lives. We wouldn't worship anything else other than you. We wouldn't love anything more than you. We wouldn't trust in anything more than you. And that we just truly be free, free to live life in the kingdom and free to live on the mission that you've called us to. What an adventure. God, thank you for this group of people. And I, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you just stir our hearts, that you just point out to us what we need to hear from you. In Jesus' name. Would you stand as we sing?
0: Josh left us with a few takeaways from this service. Jonah gets a second chance. Prayer is often our last resort. Prayer is often the last thing we do when all else fails. God gives second chances, even though we don't deserve them. God gave grace to Jonah by giving him a second chance. God gives that same grace to us too. Jonah and idolatry. If we turn to worship idols, we give something up. Idol worship costs us something. The good news is that we can turn away from these idols, back to God, and experience God's best for us. Jonah is rescued. We all need God to save us. Like Jonah, we need to be rescued too. Salvation comes from the Lord. Discussion questions. Do you agree with the statement that idol worship costs us something? What is it? What idol is most difficult for you to turn away from? Why is it difficult? Thanks again for listening, Miss family.